Hi, this is Beth AQ, and this is the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. The Glass House is a space for spoken word artists, poets, sound makers, audio storytellers, emerging cultural leaders, thinkers, writers, and anyone who celebrates story as a means of self-expression, self-representation, and community building. I hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at BethanyAQ or the Triple R website. Everyone in the world has gone to bed one night or another with fear or pain or loss or disappointment. And yet each of us has awakened and arisen. There is the nobleness of the human spirit. Despite it all, black and white, Asian, Spanish, Native American, pretty, plain, thin, Fat, vowed or celibate, we rise. Melbourne's own Triple R. I begin the show today by acknowledging that we broadcast on stolen, unceded lands. Um, we broadcast on the lands of the Wandry people of the Kulin Nation who have cared for this land since time immemorial. I acknowledge uh, First Nations peoples as the first storytellers of this land and pay respects to elders past, present and emerging, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Coming up on the show today, I'm going to be joined by award-winning writer and poet Alan Van Neven. Uh, They'll be joining to talk about their recently released poetry collection. It is called Throat um, and it's out through UQP. Very excited to be chatting to them. It's a, yeah an excellent uh, collection. It's their their second poetry collection. Um, yeah, just an incredible poet. Uh, after that, a little bit later on, um, I'll be joined by another incredible writer, um, writer and appearance activist. Carly Finlay is going to be joining me on the line to speak about an article that she's written for Arts Hub detailing how disabled artists are impacted by COVID-19. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. I'm very excited to have my first guest joining me on the line. Alan Van Neven is an award-winning writer and poet, and they have just released their second poetry collection called Throat. Um, Alan has also recently been named the winner of the UQP's inaugural Quinton Bryce Award, which celebrates work that promotes gender equality. Alan is a proud Mananjali person for the, from the Ugambe people of southeastern Queensland, um, and I'm so stoked that they are joining me on the line now. Thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Oh, no worries. Thank you. How are you going? Um, yeah, no, I'm pretty good um, amidst mm. all the weird times. Um, mm-hmm. Alan, I'd love to, if we could start with a poem. We were just chatting off air. Um, you released a, a really great poem that's that was published in, in Peril um, very recently called The Revolution Will Not Be Zoomed. Would you be happy to start with that? Of course, yeah. The revolution will not be zoomed. Stay home, but don't stay home, sis. Don't plug in, turn on, and drop in. The revolution will not be zoomed. The revolution will not be about your how your hair looks on screen. The revolution will not be about your carefully chose background. The revolution will not happen in the chat box. The revolution will not be zoomed. 
You will not be able to screenshot the suffering of your sisters and brothers. You will not be able to mute the sound of screaming birds. The revolution will not be zoomed. The revolution will not be in Presenimo. The revolution will not be a, a think tank. The revolution will not give your selfie sex appeal. The revolution will not be zoomed. You will not be able to pixelate your personal freedoms. You will not concern yourself with battery power or bandwidth. There will be no option to add a brown-skinned emoji of clapping hands. The revolution will not be zoomed. The revolution will not wait for the NBN. The revolution will not be subscription-based. The revolution will not be owned by a communications empire. The revolution will not be zoomed. The revolution will not be scrolled. The revolution will not be recorded and posted across platforms. The revolution will not be streamed live from your bedroom. The revolution will not be zoomed. Don't stay home, sis. Get out. The revolution will not be zoomed. The zoom will not be revolutionized. The revolution will be ours. The revolution will be free. That is Alan Van Nieuwen reading The Revolution Will Not Be Zoomed, uh, an incredible poem that was um, published on Peril uh, just a few days ago. Um, Alan, thank you so much for that reading. Uh, you know, there's this great kind of humour and warmth to, to your writing um, in, you know, what is kind of depicting quite a dark and, you know, often overwhelming time. Can, can you tell mm. us how this experience has, um, has been for you? Yeah, I can't help myself. I've just uh, finished a book of poems and it's just out, but I'm I'm writing more, you know. <laughs> I just just published this book, which doesn't appear, uh, this poem, but which doesn't appear in, in the collection, but I, I wrote it in the last couple of days because, yeah, it, you're right, it's really uh, strange times um, for all of us. Um, this isolation, COVID-19 time, um, and it's bringing a lot of things to the surface, I feel. It's sort of, yeah, it's a very interesting time and it's an interesting time to to have a book out. Mm. Yeah, so we are, you know, here to talk about Throat. Um, it is your second collection of poetry. Uh, it's following on from Comfort Food, which was released in, in 2016 and prior to that, your short story collection, Hidden Light. I suppose, can you tell us a little bit about... Um, how you see this kind of new body of work um, sitting within mm. your larger body of work? Well, yeah, well, the title throat really kind of alludes to the idea of voice and speak, speech and, um, and about having a voice and how to use that voice. Um, and now, now that this is my third book, I feel like I have this platform to, to say things that maybe I, I didn't feel comfortable to say in the past, but I kind of feel like it's my responsibility. Um, so this, there was definitely a sense writing this book about um, not holding back um, and, and writing, uh, writing some really kind of powerful truths that, that were important to me. Mm. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like just from reading, you know, this current collection and from reading your previous works that, yeah, this does seem to be this kind of sense of um, self-assurance or, um, you know, just this real kind of ability for you to be able to kind of, yes, as you said, like kind of stand up and, and speak your truth. Um, 
yeah, I, I suppose, do you feel like that that is something that has kind of come about through, I, I suppose, writing a, a few different books? Yeah, I think it's a combination of a few things, you know, like sort of being a bit older, um, sort of, yeah, I'm turning 30 this year when I first started writing. I was, yeah, like a real baby, like maybe like 1920 when I was sort of publishing my first pieces. Um, so that kind of comes with that kind of maturity and sort of, um, yeah, I took a little bit of a break from publishing. I, you know, there's a four-year gap between comfort food and throat. Um, so I really sort of took some time to kind of really think about why I was writing um, and you know, what, why sort of have, have, it's not just enough to be a writer. I think you sort of have to interrogate, like, yourself all the time like why you know it's something that I kind of think about every day like why why do I write um mm-hmm. and you know there's I guess there's lots of motivations that go into it but I was writing for myself and I was writing to sort of leave a mark you know I sort of went through a period that was kind of quite tough and and that's why I I really feel like this is quite an intimate book because um feeling like uh, my friends and family are around me, honouring them through this work mm-hmm. and also feeling like, you know, if I, if, I, if I have one chance to say something, what would I say? You know, kind of giving that, putting that pressure on myself, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I feel like so many of these poems, I suppose, really interrogate ideas around identity and belonging and I'm, I'm interested in how the act of writing for you kind of impacts on on your sense of and your kind of understanding of these concepts yeah I feel like um you know I'm I'm Malanjali you know I belong to the country just south of uh Brisbane or Mianjin which is the Yagara word for Brisbane um and I grew up in southeast Queensland and grew up around, you know, this this place that, you know, have like, so much kind of history in my body with having that I kind of felt like it was it was always in my body to write about country and to kind of feel like I was carrying on some sort of tradition um that had already been set out for me by my elders and by members and by ancestors. Um, so I kind of feel like I was safe to step into that space and to use, I guess, my weaving, which is my writing, to um, yeah, make a contribution to keeping culture, keeping country, keeping ways of like talking about country alive. Mm. Yeah, I I definitely can can feel that through reading your work, and I I did want to mention I was able to catch your um your live reading as part of the one on one storytelling night on Friday night. Um, mm, yeah, it, it was really beautiful to see to see you read alongside your mum, particularly when um you know she's somebody that features so strongly within these poems and stories. And I, I'm really interested in your kind of like the way that you write about your family and. Mm. I, I suppose, how does your poetry kind of interplay with your, your family history? 
Yeah, that's a really good uh, question because there's a, a couple in this collection that almost feel kind of like co-authored by my mum or my auntie or my nana because their voices are like coming in and out of the work. It's mm-hmm. kind of a communal, quite communal in a sense. And that definitely wouldn't have happened like 10 years ago because I feel, you know, as a young person, you know, I left home, I was queer, sort of working out how to sort of be, belong as a black queer person, gender queer, sort of try and navigate the space. And, um, yeah, sort of that's the time where you kind of, in the Western world, you leave your family and you go find your tribe, you know, as this kind of this kind of white kind of catchphrase of like find your tribe and find people in my sense, you know, finding people in the queer community or finding people in the artistic community. Um, but that um, that find your tribe thing would, would never have resonated strongly because I already, you know, already know where I'm from, who I am, and I already have a family, already have a tribe in, mm. in Malanjali, Yugumbe people. So sort of like then having to sort of, yes, it's great to sort of step out of the family home, um, go to another city, sort of like go 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 around the world and sort of find like, like people, but um, always coming back home and always sort of like that was a real thing that I've sort of really, it's become really important to me in recent years to sort of really connect to family and to involve them in the creative process mm-hmm. and not be an individual when I write. So, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of, kind of really fun to have those conversations with, with mom. And, you know, there's a poem in my book called Cherby, which is mm-hmm. about like three different generations going to, uh, Westfield Cherry, which is our like local uh, shopping centre, and um, I feel like that poem's like so very alive, and it it it's a better poem for having those other voices in it rather than just having my voice. Mm. Uh, yeah, so it's been it's yes, yeah, so I kind of have been enjoying that, and I recently moved back home after a few years away I'm living in my own old family home and so yeah mum and I are spending a a lot of time together um, which is really nice and I feel really grateful to have this time. Mm. I love that and I love hearing yeah you talk about Chermi I I definitely feel like I, I just really loved that poem, and I feel like Chermi is like a whole character um, on its own in the shopping <laughs> yeah, centre. Yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I, I'm wondering if you mind, um, you know, maybe reading that poem or, or another poem from the collection. Mm, yeah, I I would love to read Chermi, but it is one of the longer ones. So um, people, if you, you can check it out, um, and Overland has just recently put it up on their website. Um, if you if you go on the Overland website, or of course you can check out my book, which is one of the poems in my book. Um, I'm going to read another poem, um, uh, which is called "All That Is Loved Can Be Saved," and it's for my friend Norman. You might find. Language is inside you. 
shiny and speckled like a rock that wants someone to sit on it. You might find instead of an empty silence, your ears filled with wind and sound. Birds hold conversations thousand years old. Your loves love your ancient thoughts. They have come to you. It could be a house. It could be the wrinkles in the hands of a man who knows your grandfather. It could be a rain cloud above an equaling promising body of water. When you speak, you are in listening. When you dream, you are in dreaming. Close your eyes and feel the space. What is it saying? It could be what you do when you are broken. It could be what you do when you are safe. You might find language is inside you, shiny and speckled, a rock. That's Ellen Van Neven reading from the new collection of poetry. It is called Throat, and that poem is All That Is Loved Can Be Saved. Um, Ellen, I believe this one is for Norman... Uh, Erickson Passaribu, who's a fellow poet. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, I just, I love that. I don't know. It almost feels kind of like a, um, like a love letter in a way of. of mm, can can mm. you can you tell us a little bit yeah. more about? Norman's a bit of a soulmate and yeah, he's. We met um, through a, a, a writing um, residency in the Philippines, actually, um, which. It's called rice, you know. It's like an Asian uh, Australia exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, Norman being um, from Indonesia, me being from Australia, both we're both born in the same year. We're both queer and we're both indigenous. You know, Norman has um, indigenous heritage. Um, he comes from this uh, ethnic minority in Indonesia. Um, so we had really interesting conversations and. One of the conversations we had was, you know, he was sort of, I guess, expressing, um, yeah, just feeling, you know, like a bit kind of, a bit bit of grief, I guess, around um, not having much language um, that he would he would like to have more. And I, I kind of really sympathise with that and, Said, yeah, you know, I'm, I know some lingo, I know some Yugambe, but you know, I'm not fluent in my language, and, and I really wish that things were different, and I, I wish that you know, the colonization didn't happen. I wish, you know, I wish that we didn't live in a in a country that's continuing that colonization, um, and that you know, that my language was like a birthright that I learnt when I was a baby. Um, but instead, it sort of feels like we're picking up the pieces. Um, but this, still celebrate that. And, you know, that's why I, I said that in the title, all that can be loved can be saved because nothing is ever really gone. Um, I really kind of learned that from older people, you know, that it's still, it's, there's, there's so much that's, that's still there, you know, there's so much that will never go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted to sort of make that statement in, the, in this book. And for everybody who feels like they're not enough, you know, not enough, not Indigenous enough, not queer enough, not 
um, yeah, you know, sort of to feel like it's okay and sort of kind of almost use it as a meditation to about what we do have. Mm. Yeah, I I think um, there are so many poems in here that kind of really highlight that importance of representation of First Nations voices of of, of queer people. Um, you know, I think you, you you specifically speak to that kind of First Nations queer representation um, in you know one of the excellent poems in here called "The Only Black Queer in the World." Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I'm just you know I'm interested in kind of you know you you speak about that there are other um people that have kind of been uh the people that you needed to see and I, I suppose I'm interested mm. in how how you feel um as somebody that is potentially being that for somebody else yeah oh yeah that would be amazing and beautiful to sort of think about that and um I guess yeah I sort of I've got kind of emails and messages from like young people, you know, this kind of wasn't written for a youth audience in mind, but at the same time, it's open for anyone to read. But, you know, getting kind of messages from, like, 14, 15-year-olds, like, saying how much they love my work and what it means to them, like, I I just can't believe it, you know, just pinching myself, because that's so gorgeous. Um, really hope that yeah, if this, even if you just kind of touch one person that might be sort of feeling alone, that's just the best. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thank you so much for, um, you know, this incredible collection and, and thanks so much for, for making time to, to speak about it this afternoon. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much, Beth. That was Alan Van Nieven talking all about their latest poetry collection, Throat. Um, it's a yeah, an incredibly powerful meditation on yeah, claiming your voice and of queerness and matriarch and family. And I highly recommend going out and getting yourself a copy. It is published through uh, UQP, um, so you can yeah get yourself a copy. Um, we're going to take uh, a song now. You are listening to Triple R. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. You're in the glass house. And I am very excited to have my next guest joining me on the line. Carly Finlay uh, is a writer and appearance activist uh, who also works as the Access and Inclusion Coordinator at Melbourne Fringe. And earlier this year, she was awarded an Order of Australia medal for her service to people with disabilities. And she joins us this afternoon to speak about an article that she's written for Arts Hub detailing how disabled artists are impacted by COVID-19. Thanks so much for your time this afternoon, Carly. Thanks so much, Beth. Uh, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, so this article kind of looks at, you know, the effects of the pandemic that, you know, mm-hmm. the effects on both you personally as a writer and also that, you know, the impacts on the writers of your forthcoming anthology, Growing Up Disabled in Australia. Can you, can you tell yep. us a little bit um, more about this decision to, you know, postpone the, the book release? Yes, yeah, so our book, um, Growing Up Disabled in Australia with Black Ink Books, was supposed to be out in June and um, it, we are now publishing it in February 2021 and there are a number of reasons for this. Um, one of them is that 
disabled people um, are very vulnerable to um, COVID-19 and other illnesses. And so to have any kind of physical event, um, which we probably wouldn't be able to do in June anyway, but we did not know that, you know, in March when we made this decision, um, would be highly risky to both the uh, writers and the audience. The other thing... um, that we wanted to do is let the book shine on its own. There's so much media around COVID at the moment and um, it's really hard to get stories about disability in the media anyway. So I feel like by putting it off, um, it can really help. And also, um, I've been working on access with the publisher since the first meeting, so since I pitched this idea with them and I told them that access needs to be taken into consideration in all parts of the publishing process, so Mm -hmm. from the call-out, you know, to the way people submit, so people could have submitted, um, you know, via an audio file or an Auslan video if they wanted. Um, I interviewed a few people who um, weren't natural writers and so... You know, we needed to think about access and this was a big uh, an access decision. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. For You know, as part of this article, you've spoken with three of the contributors to the anthology, um, Elle Gibbs, yeah. Gail Kennedy and Anna um, Waitley. Um, yeah. I, I'm interested, I suppose, like as you've kind of written this article, as you said, you know, many people with disabilities and many people who are, you know, chronically ill are more susceptible to kind of contracting the virus because of having, you know, compromised immune systems already. I'm interested, mm-hmm. like practically speaking, um, how... You know, how has the pandemic been affecting the way that, uh, you know, people with disabilities are currently living? Um, well, I mean, I can speak for my for myself, of course, and I can speak about other people based on what they tell me um, or what I've read. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I have a skin condition and um, I have to have regular trips to hospital, um, mainly just for checkups, but sometimes to stay. And my hospital... Um, clinic, the dermatology clinic has put all of my um, uh, outpatient clinics online. I have my first telehealth conference tomorrow, which should be fun, I guess. Um, And also skin's a very visual thing, so I wonder how that's going to go with um, a video. Um, The other thing is um, uh, a lot of disabled people have been... um, sort of had their carers or support workers reduced because of the high risk. You know, people um, might not want to take on any more jobs or might not be able to continue because they're sick themselves. Um, and also uh, protective equipment has been in shortage. You might have seen on um, Four Corners the other night how medical staff cannot get um, enough protective equipment. They're buying it from Bunnings. And for people who have in-home support workers or visiting support workers, um, that's the same situation with a shortage. Um, also, the, the disability support pension hasn't been raised or the carer's allowance hasn't been raised either at the same rate as the other um, welfare programs. Uh, I know that, like, New Start has been doubled and some other um, programs have been doubled, but disability pensions have not. Um, and there's also the, I guess, the panic buying has meant that people haven't had good access to the supermarkets um, and the stock within the supermarkets. They did open the supermarkets early for um, elderly and disabled people, but sometimes that's not always, um, you know, convenient for people to get to mm-hmm. at 7 in the morning. So there's lots of things that have happened. Um, and I think another thing um, is the job losses. I mean, a lot of 
uh, disabled people are doing the gig economy, as I am, in addition to my fringe work, and I've lost a lot of work, um, particularly in speaking. And also, um, you know, other disabled people might be on casual work or contract basis, and they've lost that too. Mm. So... Yeah, it's it's an impact all round. But I feel like um, the the way that the response has been to COVID to put things online, to put events online, has made things more accessible for people mm. who ordinarily, you know, haven't had that opportunity to see art or see music or concerts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, hopefully it's a... I don't know, potentially a silver lining, if you can call it that, um, to this kind of, you know weird kind of isolated living that we're we're currently in is that perhaps more people will have a, a you know more of an understanding of, of how a lot yeah. of people already are living of how you know a lot of people with disabilities and marginalized people are currently living yeah absolutely there was a really great article I can't remember um the source but it was last week I shared it on my Facebook page and it was saying how um you know, that society has been disabled by the barriers that are put up. So a lot of the barriers that prevent us from going out and um, getting on with everyday life are the things that some disabled people have experienced all of their life. And so it's giving other people uh, experiencing that disabling factor. Mm. Mm. I know that we can't really, you know, predict what's going to happen post, um, post-lockdown, but do you think that, I suppose this time could be a catalyst for workplaces to kind of take flexible working arrangements more seriously? Yeah, I hope so. I know that there's been a lot of talk from disabled people who who have had um, requests for flexible work turned down and now um, all of a sudden it is available to everybody. Um, in my situation, I've been working um, at Melbourne Fringe for nearly three years and they've been amazing and we are all working from home. But in previous jobs um, elsewhere, I was not allowed to do flexible work. You know, it was really hard to um, make those requests. And, um, yeah, I, I think now now that everybody is doing it, they'll see that it's not so hard that employees can be trusted, that, you know, that with the right setup and support, it can happen. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think that it's fair to say that you know there's so many people that are working from home now, so that's meant that people have had to adapt their kind of communication styles and, and workflow. Um, and, and you wrote in your article that there are some people with disabilities that are kind of overwhelmed by this constant Zoom yeah. or video conference. I'm, I'm interested, mm-hmm. you know, in your capacity as like as the access and inclusion officer at um, Melbourne Fringe. Do you, I suppose, do you have any tips for people that are, um, you know, using these perhaps new ways of communicating? Uh, do you have any tips for like workplaces and employers to kind of make sure that they are thinking about accessibility in these new modes yeah. of communication? Yeah, that's a great tip. And I think it's for, for everybody working um, from home, no matter what they do. Um, Zoom has a function that allows captions um, in the paid version of Zoom. Um, and you can also use it with a, with um, external programs like Otter AI. So you can get someone to caption it or it does automatic captions for you. I did a really great event a couple of nights ago with someone in England who would arrange for British Sign Language interpreters to come on and caption us. And that was really great. Um, I think the other thing is to announce that you are um, what kind of access provisions you have in your event or your meeting, um, not having too many all in a row, like have some breaks. I know when I've had, you know, more than sort of four 
meetings a day. I'm pretty tired. Um, so have a break, walk around like you would in the office. You know, you have to walk between meetings sometimes to a different office depending on how big your office is. Um, and have those breaks. Um, also schedule some social time as well. Mm. Um, you know, lunchtime catch-ups or drink catch-ups. Um, fun games. Yeah, I think. Um, and, and the other thing is um, the people that I've spoken to or read about have experienced like extra migraines or um, real hard time concentrating because you have to read people's faces in a different way. It's not mm. like you can read their body language. Um, so there's that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also this pace of kind of going from your work Zoom meetings to your kind of socializing on Zoom, yeah. you know, so it's just kind of this, yeah, never ending mm. Zoom. Yeah, yeah, I've got a couple of things on tonight. I've got two two Zoom meetings on tonight after work, so it's going to be um, hard to fit in. I've never been so busy at night, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can absolutely relate to that. Um, hey, Carly, thank you so much for your time, and I'm I'm so excited to um, to read Going Up Disabled when it yet comes out next year. Me too, me too. Thanks, Beth. This is Beth AQ. Thanks for listening to the podcast of the Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed the podcast, and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at Bethany AQ or the Triple R website 